0: you're listening to time in the word the holy spirit does not produce fruit in the christian life without our cooperation there are two things every christian must do to remain fruitful first mortification the putting to death of the sinful nature and vivification the coming to life of the regenerate nature we find the death of our own sinful nature in the death of christ through what j.i. packer calls co-crucifixion with jesus christ There is a connection between Galatians 5.24 and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires and Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. But there is one very important difference. In chapter 2, we are crucified. In chapter 5, we do the crucifying. At the same time that we are putting our flesh to death, we are being revived by the Holy Spirit. These two aspects of sanctification, mortification and vivification, go together. As the reformer John Calvin put it, the death of the flesh is the life of the Spirit. Second, walking with the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit, Galatians 5:25. In this verse, Paul follows an indicative with an imperative. He tells us to become what we are at regeneration the holy spirit enters the heart of every christian yet we must keep on living in the spirit which is precisely what the galatians were failing to do the role of the spirit is to keep us in line give us our orders and all we must do is keep our place in the formation moving in step with his commands keeping in step takes discipline and so does spiritual growth True spiritual growth comes from walking with the Spirit every day. Let us listen as Dr. Gonzalez provides an exposition of Galatians chapter 5, verses 24 through 26.
1: Galatians chapter 5, and I'm going to be reading verses 24 through 26. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires since we live by the spirit we must also follow the spirit we must not become conceited provoking one another envying one another the holy spirit does not produce fruit in the christian life without our cooperation there are two things at least in this passage that we've read there are two things that every christian must do in order to remain fruitful the first one is we are to mortify the flesh look at what he says in verse 24 and those who belong to christ jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires the reality is is that mortification is one of the most neglected doctrines in the christian faith but it's also one of the most important as it pertains to sanctification spiritual growth is hardly possible And Paul teaches not only this here, but he teaches us in other epistles. Spiritual growth is hardly possible without mortification. What does mortification mean? Well, look at what Romans Paul says in Romans chapter six and verse eleven. Consider yourselves, here's the key, dead to sin. It simply means putting sin to death. So if we're going to grow spiritually, if we're going to produce fruit as the context teaches then we are going to have to put sin to death the last time i spoke i had spoken on on those verses that i'm asking you to read verses 16 through 23 we learned that the spirit is engaged in a mortal conflict or battle with the flesh the desires of the regenerate nature war against the passions of the sinful nature. And Paul spoke about that in his own personal life and experience as as a believer, as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a war in which there is no truce. It is a a battle in which the spirit will not surrender. The spirit must battle sin until death. One scholar said, he says, to take up the cross was our Lord's vivid figure of speech for self-denial. Every follower of Christ is to behave like a condemned criminal and carry his cross to the place of execution. Now Paul takes the metaphor to its logical conclusion. We must not only take up our cross and walk with it, but actually see that execution takes place. We are actually to take the flesh, our willful and wayward self, and nail it to the cross. That is mortification. Well. As we speak of mortification, let us consider how appropriate it is for the sinful nature to be crucified. And there's kind of four components here, four four things that we can notice why it is appropriate for this sinful nature to be crucified. First of all, crucifixion is shameful. It is a shameful way to die. It was reserved for the hardened criminals, for murderers, for traitors for the scum of society but think a bit about this for a moment what is more shameful than the sinful nature which rebels against god and murders the human soul another component is the fact that crucifixion was a painful way to die i mean a painful way to be executed in every sense of the word in fact it was perhaps the most painful means of execution that humans have ever devised. And there's books that have been written by medical doctors who explain the process of death by crucifixion. Add to that the suffering before the cross. In the pro- in the full and proper sense of the word, it was excruciating. Likewise, think about this, the mortification of sin is painful. Now we we don't necessarily imply by that that it is is physically painful or painful for the body, but it is painful for the soul. And why do I say that? Why do I say that mortification is painful for the soul? I think we've all experienced this. I think we all can attest to the truthfulness of this. The reason sanctification is such a painful process is that there's always something excruciating about putting our sins to death. Why? Because our sinful nature loves sin. Because our sinful nature secretly hopes that they will live. A third shade is that crucifixion is a gradual way to die and think of the process of sanctification. How long does it How long does the process of sanctification take? When does it start and when will it end? Do we at any point reach the place where we can say in this lifetime I am fully sanctified. No. Just like crucifixion, it's a gradual thing. Death by crucifixion may allow the person crucified to linger for some time. Death may not, and was most likely not immediate. But something was going to happen at some point. What's that? Death. Nobody would ever make it off the cross unless they were what? Dead. So it may be gradual, but it will come to pass. One commentator said this, "...Crucifixion was a punishment appropriated to the worst crimes of the basest sort of criminals, and produced death, not suddenly, but gradually." And then he says, similarly, "...true Christians do not succeed in completely destroying the flesh while here below, but they have fixed it to the cross, and they are determined." Here's the key of mortification, and they are determined to keep it there till it expire. We do that in our cooperation with the Holy Spirit. So when it comes to eliminating sin, there are no shortcuts. Mortification of the flesh is, like sanctification, a long, slow, and in many senses, a painful process. And then the fourth thing I would say about uh, the crucifixion of the flesh or self is, It is final. Those who have crucified, those who have been crucified, yes, they may die slowly, but they will die eventually. The same is true in the spirit's war against the flesh. One thing to remind ourselves of, and it's a source of encouragement for, I would assume, all of us, God is not fighting a losing battle. The sinful nature has already received its death blow. It's mortal blow. And it's the role of the spirit, the function of the spirit to ensure that the flesh remains and in time is dead. There's an interesting correlation between Galatians chapter 5 and verse 24 and Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. In, in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, you recall that Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me now it's interesting as you read chapter 2 verse 20 and as you read chapter 5 verse 24 you'll notice an interesting difference an important difference in chapter 2 we are crucified paul says i am crucified or i have been crucified in chapter 5 we do the crucifying chapter 2 we're crucified in chapter 5 we do the crucifying again look at chapter 5 verse 24 Look at the last part of the verse, have crucified the flesh. That's what's been done. Look at the first part of the verse, who does that? And those who belong to Christ Jesus. So in chapter two, we learn that we have been crucified with Christ. In chapter five, we learn that we mortify the flesh. The verse describes a crucifixion carried out by those who are literally of Christ. In other words, we as Christians, we as God's People are the executioners. Listen, moment by moment thing we do. We, we continually say that life is nothing more often than a series of choices. At every turn, we're making choices. We're deciding something, whatever that may be. However insignificant it may look or however major it may look. We're all the... What we're doing when we mortify the sin, we're doing that every day, all day long, as we're making choices and as we're making decisions. It is us who are the executioners. Since the verb is expressed in the past tense, we know that the event has already taken place. But when? Well, we first crucified the sinful nature at our conversion, when we came to faith in Christ. It is there when we were united to Christ. We were united with him in his death. When we put our faith, when we put our trust in the Lord Jesus, it was not only to die for our sins, but also to put our sins to death. The cross, and this is important that we understand this, the cross is the means by which we have been crucified and by which we crucify or mortify the flesh. Now here's the issue, in practical, now let's get some of the practical points out. One of the problems, or the problem we all have, I don't think it really matters how mature you are in the Lord. I think, I mean, you know, again, Paul expresses in other epistles that he writes the challenge that he himself faced oftentimes in this battle between the flesh and the spirit the trouble that we all have is that our sinful nature has a way of trying to come back down off the cross, doesn't it? When it does, we can all attest to this, it is able to make a remarkably speedy recovery, doesn't it? And that's true partly because we have a way of Hoping it make that speedy recovery. In fact, truth be told, oftentimes we are the ones who are tempted to remove the nails from that sinful nature in order to allow the sinful nature to come back down from the cross. Not only do we sometimes remove the nails, but we help nurse our sinful nature back to health. This is what the Galatians were, and this is what Paul says, if you're going to experience the fruit of the Spirit, if you're going to experience spiritual growth, if you're going to experience fellowship with the Spirit, then you have to consciously mortify the flesh. Every time you're tempted to remove those nails, every time you're tempted to help revive the sinful nature, you have to make the choice to leave it crucified. In fact, when you're tempted to do that, what you ought to do is drive the nails even deeper in order to ensure that it remains on the cross. That is what it means to put sin to death. And every day, The question is not whether we sin. The question is, we do sin. The question is, how often do we sin? And, you know, one of the things that, that we need to be conscious about, too, is that we need to be faithful students of the Word. And in part, I say that because we need to have the same perspective that the Lord has about things. We need to see things the way He sees them. The danger not doing that is that we will do things that are sinful and not even be aware that we're doing them. Again, the question is not whether or not we sin. The question is how often are we sinning and what is it that we're calling us sin and what is it that we're not calling a sin? There are so many things that we do so often that those are the things we no longer call sin. And you've heard me talk about this before. And it's not a question of doing something you ought not to do. Most often than not, the sins we're most guilty of are not doing the things that we ought to be doing. So every single time we make a decision and a choice, we need to be thinking about Scripture and what God has said and make decisions and choices that will either help remove the nails or drive them even deeper. moment By moment by moment. The other side of that is to remain fruitful, we mortify the flesh. We put to death the sinful nature. The other thing we need to do is vivification. And by that I I, I simply mean the coming to life of the regenerate nature. At the same time that we are putting to death or putting sin to death, we are being revived by the holy spirit one commentator said the death of the flesh is the life of the spirit and you're doing those simultaneously when you do the one you're doing the other So the second thing that the Christian must do to remain fruitful is to walk with the Spirit. Look at verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let me paraphrase that. The the New English Bible offers this helpful paraphrase. It says, if the Spirit is the source of our life, let the Spirit also direct our course. That's what Paul is saying. In this verse, verse 25, as he so often does, Paul follows an indicative with an imperative. So what Paul is saying here is he tells us how to become what we already are. It is a fact that those who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ live in the Spirit. At the moment of regeneration, when we were born again, the Holy Spirit enters into our heart. Yet we must keep on living in the Spirit, which is precisely what the Galatians were failing to do, and what we failed to do. You recall in Galatians 3, verse 3, he says, Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? No. Put sin to death and walk by the Spirit. In fact, the NIV translates this verse in a way that captures the metaphor. It says, let us keep in step with the Spirit. I like that translation. When Paul speaks of keeping in step, he is really talking about following orders. And that's why the paraphrase helps. If the Spirit is the source of our life, and He is, we are regenerate by the Holy Spirit. Let the Spirit also direct our course. So if we're keeping in step with the Spirit, we're just following His commands. We're being obedient to what the Spirit tells us to do. So you can see the correlation between the two. You put sin to death, and when you successfully do that, moment by moment, you're keeping in step with the Spirit. When you don't do the one, you don't do the other. So that that Greek term for keeping in step, as it's translated in the NIV, comes from the, the military, and it means to stay in formation. So when you think of the military, soldiers would line up in ranks and files. In order to maintain good military discipline, they would stay in line as they marched. But not only do they march in formation, they also run in formation. The commanding officer, when you think of the military, the commanding officer will give the the orders as necessary. The only thing the soldiers need to know is how to step in time and keep in step. Well, think about that in the process of sanctification. We have the Holy Spirit, who is the one who sings out the cadence. Our responsibility is to keep in step with the Spirit. It doesn't matter where we're going, when we're going to get there, what we're going to do when we get there. We simply respond and move according to the cadence, to the instructions, to the commands that the Spirit gives us so that we can produce fruit and grow spiritually. And and there's an interesting, think about this, when when you think about what the metaphor is trying to communicate here. That is for us to remain in formation and keeping in step with the Spirit. Notice an application that ought not to be missed. The analogy also shows where we ought to be in relation to other Christians. In other words, what Paul is teaching here also is that we never run alone all christians run in formation all christians are moving in the same direction at the same pace or at least that's the way it ought to be and anytime a believer falls behind the others come alongside and bring them back into the cadence you think of the military what are some of the mottos that we hear from some of our military forces no one's left behind. It should be the same with a Christian. We all move in the same direction under the same instruction, ideally at the same pace. And when a Christian falls behind, because either they've backslidden or they're falling into sin, Christians come alongside, lift them, and bring them back into the unit. So we don't run by ourselves. In verse 26, he says, we must not become conceited Provoking one another, envying one another. Well, what does that have to do with mortification and vivification? If we are moving in sync with the body of Christ, if we're all keeping step with the Spirit, then at no point will there be provoking and envying which is what he warns about here. If we stay in formation, we will maintain our unity in the Spirit is in essence what he's saying. You want to maintain unity in the Spirit? Mortify and keep in step with the Spirit. Now keeping in step takes discipline. So does spiritual growth. True spiritual growth comes from walking with the Spirit every day, every day, every moment of the day until finally keeping in step with Him becomes a holy habit and the process will not end this side of eternity.